Eliza, how are you going? Yeah, very good. How are you? Yeah, can't complain. It's a very gloomy uh, day in Sydney today. Mm. It's been good. It's been a, a run of um, pretty sunny days, especially for winter. I know. Here we are now, though. It's all coming in this whole week. The one weekend I'm going away on a um, hiking trip. <laughs> it's raining all week. Where are you going? Uh, where are you going hiking? Just up to Bundina, the national parks. So. But up to Bundina. Oh, so you're in now? the Shire. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I looked I at Airbnb really late, so it was the only place left that I could. Is it just you? Yeah, just doing a little weekend retreat. So, oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. Oh, you might have to do it in the rain, unfortunately. <laughs> There's a hot tub. It's okay. Yeah, okay. Well, apparently um, uh, the fishing is really good in Bundina. Oh, but you're a you're <laughs> yeah, vegan, that's, you? Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but good hot tip for the, for the others. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I had a friend that lived in Bundina and he went spearfishing. It's very uh, Bundina and then there's a little island called Main Bar around oh. there and you've got to catch a ferry, I think, to get to the mainland. Oh. Yeah, so they, they live a very uh, almost a hunter-gatherer lifestyle. Yeah, sounds very primal. Yeah, some spearfishing. Spear and <laughs> I don't know. I, that's just it. They just spearfish. <laughs> it's the home of spearfishing. Um, how else uh, have you been? Been up to anything? Have you been looking at any of the comments online? Oh, I'm trying not to. <laughs> it's tempting after a while, isn't yeah. it? You have to look. Um, I, something about monogamy that really gets people upset. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen, that people would get their back up about that one because if people are so defensive of their own lifestyle choices and, yeah. and when it kind of goes against the grain of what we all think is the standard, people mm. are going to get defensive about it. Yeah, so I wasn't too surprised, but... You know, I think it's it's better just to keep an open mind, be curious. It's a good conversation to yeah. have because, um, well, I myself three four years ago would have been one of those people getting extremely yeah. defensive, thinking, "Oh, you, you you just don't have any discipline. You just want to fuck people." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then the more you think about it, you genuinely have to sit down, rationally think about it. Um, it is very culturally influenced the whole idea and concept of. Of monogamy, and that's not to say that there's nothing, there's, there's something bad or wrong about it yeah, at all. But yeah. um, I don't think uh, that that argument of, oh, you're just, it, it's it's a less moral position to take. I don't think that holds any stead. It doesn't with me anyway. And I don't think when you think about the issue rationally, it should hold any stead. Yeah, I know exactly. It's just, um, hopefully, it's kind of open people's minds a little bit to not just the pros and cons but just the consideration of it and I know the people were getting a bit um defensive about it even I myself like I'm, I'm monogamous completely but mm. and it probably wouldn't that type of lifestyle wouldn't work for me but I'm fully like accepting of it mm. and like can appreciate it for others so keep an open mind <laughs> I have a suspicion that it's a bit like you know when these conservative politicians who are always the most anti-gay yeah and they're very vocal about it and then it comes out that they're they're gay (laughs) or they've got some uh some demons in the closet (laughs) i have a feeling it's um it's a similar sort of situation as that because my suspicion and i've and i've heard this hypothesis a fair bit is those men who are the most anti-gay they know and they're aware of the the homosexual feelings they have mm. and so they think well i haven't been able to give in to these uh yeah. feelings so why why should you be able to give in to it yeah so i'm 
well, yeah, I'm morally superior because I've sacrificed uh, mm. my ability to indulge in these uh, sexual proclivities that I feel. And it's not identical, but I have a suspicion that people who are uh, strictly monogamous and might not be that happy in their mm. relationship or might not be that happy in their general dating life are the first ones to judge people who might not be monogamous because they think, well, I've had to, I've sacrificed all these mm. extra feelings for the good of my relationship and my partner. So why why should you get to indulge in, in that uh, yeah. extra uh, lifestyle? <laughs> I mean, it's a will. good theory that would put kind of, I guess, like 90% of us, more than 90%, 96% of us that are monogamous into that boat. But who knows, maybe. Yeah, but then you got to if if everyone who is monogamous is in that boat, mm-hmm. I think that's something to really think about. Yeah, well, people fear fear change, and they they don't want those kind of things to change because it will change the way that they have to have relationships, the way society will act if it becomes a trend where fifty percent of us were poly. Imagine, yeah, <laughs> the uproar. Definitely, definitely, yeah, the whole yeah, the <laughs> culture and society would have to evolve with it. Mm-hmm. And as I've said in the previous podcast, uh, I'm not, I detach from the polyamorous label as well. Yeah. Because. uh, There's stigma on the label. There is a lot of stigma and I just can't, I don't like um, being attached to that label. And I don't like saying this, but every time I talk to someone who's very vocal about their polyamory, I'm just, I I don't feel like I'd get along with you. (laughs) Uh, but I, I support it. I definitely support it. And I obviously am um, in favor of non-monogamous relationships. So, mm. yeah, I've got I've got uh, very complex views on that, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I just don't like anyone. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But um, we are going to talk about, uh, well, quite a serious issue today. So mm. we've talked about male mental health, particularly suicide. Now, we want to talk about female mental health, but very specifically the the mental health of young girls Mm. and the horrific trends that have been pronounced and exacerbated in the last few years. Mm. So from 2013 onwards, not the advent of social media, but when social media became a huge component of Mm -hmm. our lives. And I'm not saying that's the reason, but mm. it does seem to be quite a clear correlation there. Mm. The, the suicide rate and the attempted suicide rate of young girls has uh, increased drastically. So many more issues of anxiety, eating disorders, mm-hmm. um, really sad mental disorders. That, and young girls, really young, some yeah. as young as 10. And, yeah. and it's just, it's horrific. So what, uh, as, a, as a therapist, what mm. is your insight on the on the issue? What what are your opinions as to what could be causing uh, this very alarming trend? And mm. then eventually we'll we'll talk about some solutions. Yeah, I think that what the studies that have come out that were interviewing the young people between the ages of um, twelve and seventeen found that well throughout the years, male. Um, mental illnesses has increased about 2% where women's have jumped up um, 
and it, it's currently at I think 29% of young female adolescents have a mental illness, a diagnosed mental illness. So um, 29%? 29%, according to like the Mission Australia mm. um, recent studies that they've done. And that's only increasing each year. And they're finding that the hospitalizations for males have, although at an alarming um, rate already, are somewhat similar but for females, it's massively increased um, mm. in in hospitalizations for attempted suicide, like you said, or mental illness. Um, and it used to be like one in five young people have a mental health condition, and now it's looking at it's almost one in three. Mm. Um, and just the amount of people that have experienced or teenage girls that have experienced a major depressive episode within the last year has increased so drastically. So in these studies that they did, they found that um, the females themselves or the girls themselves were saying the biggest stresses for them was school um stress and just pressure um, for their future and for success mm. but the view of most psychologists um, psychologists and psychiatrists are saying it was the implementation of social media yeah that has had this drastic change on females in particular uh because in our year that what year were you born in 94. Yeah, same. Okay, so 94, we were kind of just the cutoff. It's from 95 onwards, there's been such a drastic change from uh, people that were born in that age um, or the teenagers that are now having access to all the social media. Mm. Um, we've kind of seen these trends happening since 2010. So the iPhone was released in 2007. Mm. And none of us really had an iPhone for a couple of years because it was so expensive. And then we all had it. Um and now it's it's kind of gone downhill since then. Hmm. It's ironic, isn't it? Yeah. It's fantastic technology. Yeah. And it's just made us depressed. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. It's um, it's very scary, and the iPhones are so so addictive, and they're made to be so addictive. Everything about it is supposed to be like stimulating our brains and releasing dopamine, so that we keep wanting to do it over and over again. Um. So it's a it's a dangerous thing that we have access to and mm. the effects of it are so tragic at the moment, but it's one of those things that's almost impossible to have an intervention on. So, yeah. My mind immediately goes to uh, a point you made a few weeks ago where I, would, I was saying something about if I was a parent, I would just flat out deny my kids social mm. media. But what you do then is... Uh, socially ostracize them yeah because if everyone at school is on social media and talking about what was happening on social media last night yeah you're you're making your child an outcast mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it wouldn't be easy as a parent mm -hmm. um what is it specifically about social media that has affected girls so i was reading this mm -hmm. uh this book called the coddling of the american mind and mm -hmm. he uh hypothesizes that when boys are uh, on social media and, and just the internet in general, they're often playing video games. Games and, and porn. porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, looking at porn. Yeah. Uh, whereas girls are you know, gossiping, mm -hmm. they're uh, posting pictures, which is increasing the pressure for them to look a certain way mm -hmm. because, the well, the, the, the prettier girls might be getting more likes mm -hmm. and follows. And, and uh, look, that's... Even in the, I'm sure in the 50s and yeah. 60s, the the pretty people are always the most popular. 
Um, but now that's just been totally exacerbated because mm -hmm. of social media. Mm. So that is contributing to more to more body issues, and also the you don't you don't get a chance to um, you don't get a break from mm. the social minefield that is high school. Yeah, that's it. It just goes constant. It rolls in 24-7 yeah. with, with the access to the phones. And I think the difference between um, the females and uh, male teenagers and social media use comes down to uh, aggress aggression. And so mm -hmm. we have found that um, males and females actually do have similar levels of aggression, but men will prefer to do it like physically or like threaten a fight or something like that. Whereas women are social creatures and everything is based around those um, social bondings. So when we are aggressive, we're much more likely to, especially as teenagers, show our aggression by damaging reputations, gossiping and rumors. And mm. the easiest way to do that is through social media. And it's also how females bond as well we um men will likely bond through shared activities like let's go fishing or rock climbing or something i don't know what you guys do and <laughs> a couple of other things just Games. if it involves beer <laughs> yeah doesn't matter <laughs> yeah so men will bond through um shared activities and females bond through shared information and that's often making ourselves vulnerable and, and sharing a secret or something. But then when we go to bond with a second female, we might have, you know, run out of information. So we say, share someone else's secrets. Um, oh, okay. And that's kind of how, like, the nature of gossip helps us bond, but then it can really ruin people mm. in, the, mm. in the process of that. So in the last uh, seven to eight years, mm. has that gossiping increase tenfold because of social media yeah yeah well because of the way we now socialize is almost entirely through social media and a lot of young people like you know teenagers where teenage girls are obsessed with and boys like love and romance and getting crushes that's when you kind of start developing those kind of feelings for people um mm. and you know in our day <laughs> in our day it makes me feel so old but it wasn't it was like, you know, texting and um, MSN and things like that was still very prevalent. Good but MSN. Yeah, but yeah. it was also like you you meet up at like a beach or a park after school on a train, whereas these days all your romantic... <laughs> like that you was like the thing that we used to do. Like we'd <laughs> okay. all go to the train station. <laughs> It'd be like the North Shore line. Damn. Everyone would catch the same were you, train. Were you an SA? <laughs> no. To tag up the trains. <laughs> no, not that kind of <laughs> train hopper. Um, but nowadays it's any like validation or attention that we're getting from each gender is done via social media so mm. we're waiting for this like we're waiting for this emoji it's such a easier way for them to communicate and um, express interest but fortunately it doesn't take much effort mm. so we're just constantly on um, Instagram and Instagram especially is highly addictive because you can continue to scroll and scroll and scroll and it will forever be almost regenerating um, new photos, new images, new videos. Whereas when it came out, when we were starting to use it, I don't know if you remember, you'd follow like 
50 people, you'd check it like twice a day and it didn't have stories. You just mm. looked through the photos and that would be it, nothing new. But now with the added implementation of the um, Instagram stories, it's this constant update frequently and the same with Snapchat of yeah. what's going on in people's life. And you can you have to watch it within 24 hours or it's gone and you've missed it. So it's a smart move for Instagram and Snapchat, but not so smart on developing brains. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's a very visual uh, world. Yeah. Because we're always trying to post the best selfies and yeah. need that good profile picture. Because like I said, that's how you, that's, well, that's how you maintain popularity. It's exactly. I find uh, the the diet that sort of dynamics of the the gossip and the in groups and out groups mm. and clickiness really really interesting mm. because there's that stereotype of if you go to a girl's private school you know you you go through six years of uh, this minefield of gossiping and torture and mm-hmm. and damaging other girls' reputations and calling them this and that and he she hooked up with that guy and whatever yeah so um. When you were a teenage girl, give me give me an insight as to <laughs> what that was like. What sort of any sort of notable instances that were that yeah. would be really interesting and um, just just because I obviously yeah. didn't <laughs> go through that. So you weren't a teenage girl. No, I wasn't. Oh, uh, yeah. Surprisingly, <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah. Um, so tell me what that's like. It was pretty much it was pretty similar to what it is today. Like we had. Um, we went through like the transition of Facebook to mm-hmm. uh, from MySpace to Facebook in our age. And like, I don't know if you remember on Facebook, but you could have like a comment box. And I mean, on MySpace. Oh, yeah, MySpace. I remember and that. you the would top have friends. Yeah, you'd have top so friends. Much bullying from the so top that friends. was always controversial. And you'd have this comment box where you could start a sentence and people would respond to that sentence in the comment box. And very often it would be like, um, Jane Doe is a dot, dot, dot. And people would answer that like a slut or a bitch and it would be publicly posted. And we also had this thing um, that everyone was obsessed with called, I don't know if you ever heard of it, Formspring. And it was like a- Of course. Yeah, a website where you could- (laughs) That was so That was just invented (laughs) to cyberbully people. It was insane. And we were all so addicted to it. It was pretty much just this website where you could write comments or questions anonymously. And then you have your own um, page and it will post it and you respond to the comments. And then it became Ask FM or that might have been a but Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Those are the days. <laughs> we had we had a few girls in our school. I think actually get suspended because they created. Do you know in Mean Girls how they have that burn book? Yeah. They created a burn book form spring, and you yeah. know this person hooked up with this person. This person cheated on. Yeah. yeah. And back then it was. It was the it was the Hollywood movie. Everyone yeah. wanted to know what was posted. And people on this. from other schools would find out, and yeah. like people know about everyone from all the schools. It was so wild. Mm-hmm. So I think it was kind of like that um, in in my high school experience, but also like massively. Um, the rumors have always been a thing with girls and gossip, um, and that certainly happened at my school. So and are those rumors generally about? Well, you're dating in sex life? Often, yes. Um, and or just like things like, for example, I once had found out a rumor that was made about me when I was um, in year eight. And um, for context, I hadn't ever like really drunk alcohol. I'm actually allergic to like alcohol. I can't drink. But there was rumors that I was getting 
totally just shit face and like lying on the road and having people over for all these drinking sessions, which never even happened. I was like, had like, I was very shy and yeah. <laughs> quiet. And then some of the mums found out and they called all the other mums. So all the girls got banned from hanging oh, out no. with me. But in reality, none of those things had ever happened. Someone got caught she drinking and said it was, oh, it was Eliza. Like she supplied it to me and wow. this and that. Well, yeah. Well, what a bitch. And like- then all the mums were getting in on it being like, yeah, I've seen Eliza down in Northbridge drinking. I literally hadn't even like ever drunk alcohol. So it was wild. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Someone really wanted to bring you down. Yeah. Then the mums were fighting. Why do you think, why, whoever, did you, first of all, did you ever find out who that was? And why do you think they would have done something like that? Do you think they were just very insecure? Maybe you were, I don't know, more popular or something and wanted to bring you down? I think there was, was there was a couple of things like, um, First of all, this girl in particular, where a lot of them, the drama started, was she was very rebellious and she'd sneak out at night. And she used to live down the road from me and we were friends for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was easier for her to say, like, it, Eliza asked, told me to do it or something like that. Um, so that kind of shifted the blame and that it was her mum that called all the other mums. Um, and then people just started, like, saying, like, I've seen this or I've done that. So... That was so. Um, even the mums are getting in on the yeah, on the gossip and yeah, reputation and destroying exactly behavior. Yeah, and Gosh. also because like as like a fourteen year old, I was like wearing some makeup, which wasn't as common back then as it is now for kids. And a lot of parents made like were very uncomfortable with their kids hanging out with me, thinking I was bad news. Like in reality, I was like the most wholesome, <laughs> innocent child. But yeah, so. Oh. Wow. And, and this day and, and, and age, it's that, only worse. How did that affect you? Um, it was it was pretty annoying, actually. It was pretty yeah. like none of that's true. And your parents kind of had, well, our parents had more control over who we can hang out with and influence. So I've like, I've just lost a bunch of people that can hang out with me for something that didn't even happen. Mm. Um, but I've been working with teenage girls um, for seven years almost now and it's it's definitely a lot worse for them than it was for me um and the issues that they tell me about in this day and age are so crazy and so wild at what happens um and how vicious it can be like I know um a girl I worked with started at a new school in the northern beaches and she was 15 going on 16 and she there was a little bit of drama and pretty much something that what ended up happening was that people they made a fake instagram account um which the entire school followed and then people would post in like gossip about her or things they'd found out from her past and like had done all this research or being like this girl was spotted at ringamore at this time wearing ugly tracksuit pants like that kind of thing yeah and it became this whole trend where that almost the entire school was like obsessed with following this girl around because it was funny to like there had been 20 posts made about her on this one Instagram page. You really so, get an insight into yeah. the depravity of human nature yeah. when we're teenagers yeah. in that social situation because we're extremely tribal and, and in that period of our life mm. very insecure. So we'd rather jump on the bandwagon attacking someone else to yeah. be part of the tribe than yeah. stand up for that person exactly. and risk um, being banished Socially yourself. Socially isolated, yeah, that's it. It's all about risk. Um, avoiding the risk of social isolation is such a drive for us. So 
what do we do? What is the solution? Um, mm. Do we have to regulate social media use? Do we have age limits? Mm. What? <laughs> yeah. What is that? Because it's social media is fantastic. This is going out on social media. Yeah, it can I know. be such a an amazing tool to to learn and to uh, and to uh, be entertained with and to put your work out there. Mm. But it's so addictive and clearly damaging for young people, particularly young girls. So what the hell do we do? <laughs> it is hard. And like you said before, it's if you take a child off social media that kind of can ruin their social life. But mm. there is a, a, a really well-known um, social psychologist called Jonathan Haidt. And he wrote, he's the one, he's the writer of the Cognitive oh, of the American Mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. It's okay. Good book. So he, he talks a lot about this, um, particularly for females and social media use and the impact of that. And he said, you know what, it's better to cut a child off or hold out on social media or even having a phone. It's better to do that than to have them have a, you know, 10 times more likely risk of suicide, anxiety yeah. and depression. So to take that social risk. Um, take the tough line and yeah, just say no, no social media yeah, for you. at least until what he would say middle school, which I think is like when you're like 14 or 15 in America. That. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty young. Yeah, yeah. But because um, at that age, when you're teenagers, 13, 14, 15, 16, um, you, you don't fear the consequences as much. You yeah. don't consider it. And we're much more driven to be rebellious. So that's why they can say such vicious things without really caring that much about the impact of that. So yeah, it's, um, it's dangerous to have an, especially another big impact of, of it is how much we put a value on, on beauty um, and yeah. how much that is constantly pushed onto young females in every aspect. And it used to be back in the day, it would just be like we would look at um, celebrities and think they're so beautiful. But now we've got like peers, like other 14-year-old girls are editing and altering their faces through filters, um, face tune and things like that, where it's like we don't aspire to be like these celebrities or aspiring to be like our own peers. And it's that like direct comparison. It's not like mm. I want to be beautiful when I grow up. Like I want to be like um, Jennifer Hawkins kind of thing or Kim Kardashian, which hopefully you don't, but <laughs> that's what they say. Um, it's like I want to be like this girl right now. Yeah. Um, and that kind of like, I'll never look like her is, is massively, um, detrimental. Do you think that this is a new phenomenon because of social media or do you think, uh, the insistence on beauty being such a major factor in the status of humans was mm. always at play, but social media has just given us the, the tools to, uh, make it more prevalent exactly that's it the, we've always been drawn to beauty and that's why every single thing in advertising or a lot of things it's like you know they say sex sells yeah that's and us, then but... even <laughs> you look through throughout history all yeah the, all the sculptures yeah. and the paintings yeah and, yeah and beauty has always been exactly and even they did like important. some studies of um popular magazines it was a long a study done ages ago but if they had put a beautiful celebrity on the front 
it's much more likely to have way more copies sold that way than if you had mm. a photo of scenery or, or makeup that wasn't on a person. So even though we always, you know, are kind of like bashing it and saying it's so bad, we're still intrinsically so drawn to that. Um, yeah, and then the real, the, the interesting discussion for me is how much is that society and how much is that our biology? Yeah, yeah, of because course, I, yeah. My guess is that it's a combination of both, Definitely. but I would d- disagree with the people who say it's, it's all society. Yeah. Mm. And then I would disagree with some people who say it's all biology. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I've heard, th- just, this is purely anecdotal, but it's quite interesting. Uh, my uh, A female relative of mine was talking about how the air hostesses in, uh, it was either Etihad or Emirates, were younger and more attractive mm. And then she was complaining about what the Qantas air hostesses looked like. And she's a very, you know, she's a, a independent, strong, like all of, she, she's, um, wow. she's passionately feminist. Mm. Uh, but then she just came out with that. And even I was thinking, <laughs> does that really matter <laughs> when it comes to the flight? Yeah. Um, Isn't that interesting, the standard that we hold to flight attendants? Like and, it's such a random... Crazy. It is, but it just—I yeah. just found that really interesting. That even a a woman yeah. who would would think, I have a better experience on the flight yeah. when the when the women who are serving me are uh, yeah. are beautiful. Yeah. So. And it is a it is actually a like field, a psychological phenomenon. They call it like the there's the halo effect and the beauty bias. So mm. you're more likely to think someone that who is you know dressed nice or or pretty or handsome. You're more likely to think that they have more money or they're more successful or more emotionally intelligent and educated. Um, and the halo effect of that is you admire them and think that they're great people and you might overlook more of their flaws because they're actually better looking and they're likely to become more successful yeah. because everyone's admiring yeah them. yeah and you know that uh, you've probably watched this because i know we've talked about this show before but that one um it's called 100 people on netflix yeah. and they did this um little experiment where they had 100 participants in a room or in two separate rooms um and then in one room they were showing pictures of unattractive um people that were in jail, mm-hmm. well, not really in jail, but they had just made them up and saying this person um, was arrested for breaking and entering and they kind of give a case and they say, how many years do you think this person deserves? Um, and then they would, for the second room with the other 50 people, do the exact same stories word for word, but have a photo of an attractive person. Mm-hmm. So for the breaking and entering one, um, there was, you know, an unattractive male and they were saying 12 to 20 years. Mm. For the attractive male, they said one to two years. And it was like that for every single case, like two, three years, three to four years. Um, even yeah. like a murder case for one of the younger, younger, prettier females was like five years. And then the unattractive one, it was like 35 years, like just drastic changes. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's it is amazing how many assumptions that we make Sad, of isn't it? the beauty of people, yeah. And it's like no wonder there's so much pressure as well on that. Yeah. And then again, what do you do about that? Because if that is so intrinsic to human nature, mm-hmm. yeah. if someone is born um, unattractive, do you just have to say it toughen up? That's life. <laughs> or do we try and 
change society and restructure maybe some of our technology so that mm. it's a fairer game. I think that people. that is actually a trend that has been happening for a little bit now. And that's a really great trend. Um, like it was the, you know, if find, find bigger bodies beautiful. Like mm-hmm. you can be fat and beautiful. It's not one or the other, um, which I thought was a cool movement. And also um, on like TikTok, there's all these trends about like, let's appreciate big noses, mm-hmm. like, and where that's come from, let's make that beautiful. And I think that, you know, humans do love variety and the trends are slowly changing to more, especially in the last couple of years, it's become, you know, more quirky looking girls or um, guys have all of a sudden become quite attractive um, or I don't. Sorry, guys have become. Yeah, like girls and guys that are like. Oh, that are quirky looking. Quirky looking or, or different have become much more attractive now than what they would have been deemed. 10 years ago. Even. But are they really, uh, because they're being plastered on the front pages of magazines yeah. and social media sites, where does the attraction come from? Does it come from us seeing an image? The familiarity. In that authority yeah. position? Or does it come from uh, we have certain traits that we're all attracted to or at least that a majority of the population are attracted to and yeah. as a result magazines and other publications are going to, through trial and error, figure out, mm. all right, people like this copy sold yeah. more when the girl had blonde hair and yeah. and when the guy had abs. So then through that process, they create that ideal mm. image. Mm. How much can we socially engineer the ideal conception of beauty yeah i think that it's a bit of both and i think that it used to be much more like the second example and i can't quite remember if this was like a an actual study but i did um remember reading something about sports illustrated that for a period of um years they had you know very similar looking women on the front um usually tan long hair, very thin, athletic looking, um, or fake boobs. And now since they've introduced variety of body shapes have actually, um, the amount of purchases have gone up. It's been more beneficial Mm. for their company. Whereas 10 years ago, it wouldn't have been. Um, so I do think that there are some changes and I, a lot of people would say it's because, you know, we're trying to like, um, take a stand against this industry and this and that. But in reality, it's most likely due to like repeated exposure. So when that okay. body positive positivity movement came out, that was a long time ago. That was happening when I was about like maybe 15, so 10 or 11 years ago that it started. Yeah. And everyone was kind of really against that, like don't romanticize unhealthy bodies and it will never be attractive. Um, and now it's something that is so accepted and appreciated and loved. So I do think it was just this, um, the more we see something, the more familiar it becomes and that repeated exposure to it makes us change our standards or change Mm. our ideals of beauty and things like that. So in that sense, there's hope. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. Putting more and people are using more, um, natural bodies on like, um, there's like a website, um, like Princess Polly is an example. It's a girl's clothing store and it used to have the tiny petite size six um, ones. And now 
they will have a variety of models from like 6, 10, 8, 12, 14, like just different sizes for different clothes, which I think was really great. Um, and they were saying like, you know, back in the day, I can't, I don't think it was in Australia. It might've been in the UK, but this, the, or maybe you were telling me this, someone was telling me that the um, sizes of the mannequins were so small that you couldn't biologically, your organs wouldn't fit in into that mannequin yeah (laughs) so and then it kind of like had this big uproar being like this is what we're putting all the clothes on and we're looking at every single day these mannequins that you couldn't even fit a rib cage in there yeah um so it is people are becoming more i guess aware and in tune with these things that is great but on the flip side we're also getting all these filters and fillers um, face tuning to make ourselves look way more beautiful um, mm. or attractive in our mind than what we are. Yeah, that's really interesting about the repeated exposure. Mm. So we can actually change the visceral response mm. of attraction people do have mm-hmm. with repeated exposure. I do think there's a there is a boundary mm. eventually where to a certain degree you can keep saying this is beautiful, this is beautiful, this is beautiful. You yeah. can't force people to have that response in the same way when it comes to something like comedy for example there's Mm. all this uh uh, yeah we can call it politically correct comedy Mm. out there that people are pushing Mm. and it's from a personal perspective but also just reading the comments on a lot of these videos people just don't find it funny and they can tell Mm. they can tell you're just pushing this to feel good about yourself and have this idealized uh, conception of the human condition and human nature that, hey, we can be, you know, this is harmless and it, and it's funny as well. So I, I'm, I'm wary that we may be in this moment where we're all, we have this body positivity and, you know, big is beautiful and all these different mm. um, ideas that are very wholesome and well-meaning but I do think there may be uh, a limit to that. Mm. And I think really what we also need to be uh, instilling in into young people, especially young women, is that your beauty, does it, it shouldn't define you. Mm. So whether or not you feel beautiful at every size, that, that shouldn't really define who you are. We all want to feel beautiful, don't get me wrong, but mm. what are your thoughts? Uh, how much have you worked towards a certain goal? Mm. Who are you as a person? Those are the sort of things that as a society we should be looking at more to determine the the well the worth of yeah, someone. Absolutely. And not just, all right, you got big boobs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or like if you're a guy you got a six pack. Yeah. Um That'll be it's a hard thing to shift because it's not just, you know, educating our girls and having those conversations with them. It would be because even if we have those, you know, your worth isn't your beauty, you're still gonna be Everywhere yeah, you look, it's yeah. like, <laughs> no, no. look how popular you are. Look how many likes you get if you're a beautiful woman. And I watched this um, thing. It was like on ABC and it was about the impact of social media on teenage girls. And they brought in um, a small group of girls that use it regularly. And they were saying, you know, they one of the questions was like, who do you idolize? Like, And they were saying, oh, um, Kendall Jenner because she's beautiful, she's successful, but she's um, she's also completely natural and things like that. And I was really surprised to see that these girls thought that she was completely natural because um, right. that's a she's had a lot of um, 
help along the way, um, especially in, in beauty, which is fantastic if that empowers you and she's an adult, she can do what she wants. But it was just the, the lack of knowledge of these girls about plastic surgery and fillers. And I, I really think that that's something that should be educated because I know that in social media education for schools, I used to do it as schools do like sex education and um, social media education. And they really want to frame it in like a safety perspective, like don't talk to strangers and yada, yada, yada. But really it should be like a, here's what we can do to, you know, alter our bodies in a way that you wouldn't notice. Here's what is like reality and those kind of things like Instagram versus reality type things is what we need to be able to see. Um, And that some studies are showing that girls will alter their faces and a lot of girls will i don't know statistically how off like how much but over 50 percent would be like face tuning really yeah and then these girls were saying i know that i look very different online than i do in person um but i don't care like i'd rather look i'd rather look attractive online than that's better to me than looking, um, having you say, well, you look different in real life. That's really sad. Yeah. That's really sad. Yeah. No, I don't even know how to respond to yeah. that. That's terrible that someone would think that their image online is more important than how they look. Yeah, they're like, I don't, they're I don't care if you think life. I'm a catfish or whatever. Like, I'm going to alter my body to be a size 6 when I'm a size 10. And I don't care if you think I'm bigger in person. It doesn't matter as long as I look like this online. That's our identities have become almost who we are online. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And with the, well, with Tinder and all the dating apps, it's, yeah. we're just swiping based on yeah, exactly. how good we look. Yeah. Which, would it, would it have been that different in the 80s, for example, you could be at the bar and you'd still be like, oh, you know, she's hot, he's hot, like, let's go. I want to talk to them. So, yeah. Has it, it, I don't think humans have changed. Mm. I just think the technology has really changed the way our uh, nature is on display. Well, yeah, and really, you know, we we still have hunter-gatherer brains and our brains haven't evolved barely at all in the last 100,000 years. I think there's evidence to say that our brains weren't small. <laughs> Great. Not well, surprised. If people are admiring Kendall Jenner, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think they have. Um. But, yeah, so I think that, you know, we just aren't used to the way that life is evolving and, you know, all this research is coming out, but we're not going to know how detrimental it is and and the way that technology is changing and developing and and how fast it is happening is so wild. Like, just thinking, you know, when we were teenagers, we had home phones. Like, (laughs) I think we've got to start teaching kids, well, if it's mindfulness or... yeah something in school and it should be mm. a mandatory class yeah every day you get to school okay you do 20 minutes of yeah either meditation or maybe for the boys a bit of strenuous exercise yeah. yeah just things that aren't strictly academic that that will create good habits for them in the future i'm not saying this isn't mm. be all and end all and mm. will solve all the problems but if it decreases uh depression and anxiety by five percent great mm-hmm. that's so worth it yeah so just little strategies like that, I think, can can help. And even if we are just trialing things and we just see if, if it works or not and it might not work, then cool, yeah. we get rid of that program. Mm-hmm. But 
school needs to evolve with the with the times. Yeah. Um, mm. With this technology, we can also change the way we educate people as well. I yeah. mean, or with these lockdowns, people are learning from home, mm. and there are positives and negatives to that. One of the positives could be that you're not in this constant social group at school all day where mm. there are the pressures at lunchtime, who's talking to who, who's, mm. oh, there's my crush, oh, I look like an idiot, and then you mm. think about that for the next two days or whatever. Mm. Things that when you get to your mid-20s are so trivial. But yeah. at the time they were... It's your everything. It, it is. Yeah. It was... Uh, it was life or death. Literally. About, oh, what can I say to my crush? <laughs> now I just laugh at that. But yeah. you want to get people or you want to you get teenagers to a point where uh, their self-esteem is solid enough mm-hmm. that these sorts of things don't have a huge adverse effect on them. Mm. Now, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Like I said, maybe, you know, 20 minutes of mindfulness or meditation at school could help. Yeah. Um, and I think parents severely limiting the social media usage of their kids would help. That's probably going to be the best thing that we can do. And it, it sounds so far-fetched, but the more we can limit it, the better the better it is it's going to be for yeah. our youth because it's although the education is, is so essential, it's so important, you're also fighting against not only, you know, society or whatever, but also your brain chemicals and that when we are looking at um, these apps that stimulate our brain. And when we are getting likes, we get surges of dopamine. And so that's our reward system is activated. Mm. And when you reward, when your reward system is activated, we crave that feeling constantly. So what's the easiest way to do that? Upload something and get lights. Yeah. Yeah. It's my job. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you you have to be disciplined with that. Yeah. So So do you ever feel, um, you know, on edge when you upload something and you're waiting to see if it gets views. Sure, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just part of the game. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it hasn't hindered my mental state to the point where I feel like I I now have anxiety or anything mm. like that. But yeah, every time I upload something, I'm cautious as to how people are going to respond, and mm. if they don't respond well. Sure, that's a well. It's a condemnation on my skills and and whether or not I've uh, fulfilled my responsibilities in doing my job, which is to entertain people. Mm. So, sure, I I do. It does uh, affect my self esteem and and general confidence. But then I also try to frame it in a way that okay, I'll need to make a vi- better video next time. Yeah. So I like to think I'm quite secure in in, in that mm. regard, but a lot of you know quote unquote influencers are not, mm. and they're always talking about how, especially the Instagram influencers mm. suffer from horrible mental health uh, concerns and are yeah. so immersed in that world, and their their whole self worth and identity as a person is, I post amazing photos on Instagram, and mm. w- once that you know by the time. Look, we all age. Yeah. By the time we're in our forties, we're not going to look as good as we did in our twenties. Well, yeah, that's a that's a whole other ball game because the okay. the trends uh, of sure, yeah, Botox and fillers uh, true, is, yeah. is so wild. It's like no one will want to reach the age of forty. Like they want to try maintain their youth forever. It's it's a but that's it's it's sad, isn't it? Mm. Because that's not it's you're just fighting against well, life. Yeah. yeah, I mean. 
you see some of those women who are in their 40s and 50s who have clearly had way too much plastic surgery. Now, mm. sure, that's a that's a judgment that doesn't necessarily need to occur. There's no such thing as too much. If you want to do it, you're a free individual, you can do it. Mm. But I think there is this tacit understanding among society that you clearly it it looks as though you're you're quite insecure or mm. you're trying to suppress some feelings about yourself or that just can't be healthy yeah with the amount that some some people have have done to themselves and and I feel really sorry for for them mm. um it's interesting how it's different um amongst countries like in Australia that kind of you know um fillers and botox is extremely popular like massively popular most girls these days it used to be you'd start it at 40 that was a thing and now it's you they've kind of phrased it as use it as a preventative started at 18 19 20 um so a lot of girls are using it before they have wrinkles thinking it will prevent them but realistically there's actually no research or studies that show that it can be a preventative and that it helps with that um so that's a interesting thing and we don't have um enough long-term studies because it hasn't been popular or used long enough to know that how will this impact us when we're using it for 30 40 years um on a regular basis and and injecting that in ourselves but what was interesting is that you know it's it's so um common in australia but in countries like like in france it's um it's not that common and women who are you know in their 50s and of age naturally are still seen as really sexy and and beautiful and appreciated whereas that that's um people in australia fear (laughs) getting to that age not everyone but it's common yeah you can i'm not saying um older people aren't beautiful and can be sexy and 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 charismatic and confident and and just wonderful but Mm. naturally you know a a youthful uh look is going to decline yeah now i guess then the question is is the youthful look the most attractive look yes which it absolutely is unfortunately yes it absolutely is (laughs) it is because you could you the younger not the younger you are but once you're you know 16 to um 30 that's when you're going to be fertile so you'll likely be fertile before 16 but you know let's not bring yeah, in let's not use sexualized children anything yeah yeah so um that's that's why i guess we it's all about mm. procreation like that's just how we're hunter gatherers driven um for that and that's why we deem that as often the most beautiful age to be in. And for men, it doesn't really matter as much because you can procreate at any age. Well, it does. Uh, after 30, the sperm count does go down and you still can procreate. It's, yeah. just, it's harder. but Slightly. Yeah. <laughs> Not like it is with women. It's, it's, true, it's way it's harder. It yeah. just, Some yeah. men are having babies still into their 70s. That's true. Yeah. Probably shouldn't be. <laughs> I'm going to die by the time they get to 10. <laughs> yeah um so it's um it is wild i guess the trends and we kind of got off topic of the of the teenagers but it's just that message that it's constantly getting thrown at teenagers that this is what it comes down yeah, to really. yeah. i don't think there's actually a hell of a lot to unpack or explore it's it's mm. social media has clearly mm. 
ex- uh, increase this trend of uh, young girls and negative mental health outcomes, and a lot of it comes down to the the gossiping and the and the bitchiness and that social pressures and the beauty standards. Yeah. So we need to figure out a way as a society, whether it's the government or whether it's parents or whether it's uh, the technology itself and cultural movements mm. to change this because this is not. This cannot mm. be healthy in the long run. Mm. If 30% of girls have mm. um, a mental health issue, that's not, a, that's not a good society. No. Not at all. So something needs to be done, mm. needs to be done soon. Mm. And all we can do at this stage because it's so new is try things yeah. and hope that they work. Yeah, and I think you're right that it's it's so great to try to educate people to find value in things other than that and it doesn't have to be like your career it can be things like like there's for um for australian men there's like kind of like a joke that you can pull anyone regardless of your attractiveness if you're an australian guy if you're funny um because that's like yeah yeah (laughs) that's like an attractive trait in someone um and i guess we we need to kind of appreciate that in in girls as well like find those little quirks attractive and 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 just put less value on on even just what is attractive and what's going to make you feel the most fulfilled and if it's how many instagram likes i'm getting it's going to be something that you need to work on yeah um on yourself and and take a deep look into that but it is harder when it's like that is not an abnormal thought process. That's not against the norm. That would very easily be the norm. So even though it's very detrimental to our health, it's hard to say I have an issue that nine out of 10 girls will have. Mm. So mm. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the future brings for this generation and what will happen when the teenagers now are in their 30s and 40s and the impact of that because we're already seeing what's happening to the babies um, that are being born these days is massively um, impacted by technology like usually when you know if you were sitting and um, breastfeeding a a child you'd be looking at them for it breastfeeding takes an hour honestly like Mm. it takes so long you usually be looking at them but nowadays it's way more common to be looking at your phone or watching something while your child's on your breast. And they're saying that children that are, you know, in the last, like that were born and now about five or six have much more issues connecting and, and making eye contact um, and developing closer connections with people because of those kind of things where they God. weren't bonding securely enough with their mother during the, you know, during the feeding process and things like that in early ages. And also kids that are five and six now are already having eyesight issues because of how much more they were um, accessing technology as a child and um, developmental issues, learning difficulties, difficulty f- focusing. So there's a really great book on it called The Cyber Effect um which i recommend for literally everyone to read and i saw that once when i was i was babysitting um these two-year-olds so they didn't even know how to talk they're literally two they were twins and i had never babysat them before and the mum told me you know put them to bed at like 
eight o'clock, which I thought was really late for two-year-olds anyway, but I was like, okay, I'll do that. And she said... Yeah, and not for ethnics. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, <early. laughs> that's true. Um, and she was like, put a... Use their iPad and put it like up on like the wall, like this high and there was oh, the two beds and wow. put a movie on for them to fall asleep to. And I was just thinking... No, I'm not going to. That's crazy. I'm not going to do that. It's already 8 o'clock. It's already so late. This kid should be in bed at 6 p.m. And um, so anyway, I put them to bed. I read them like eight books trying to get them tired, like played mm. like soothing music. And they couldn't talk, but they kept like crying and like um, looking for the iPad or trying to like grab it. And so eventually the crying got so bad that I was like, oh, shit, I'm just going to have to put it on. So I put this movie on and it finished at um 10 30 p.m and then the kids both of them just start screaming because the movie had finished and coincidentally it had also just run out of battery so i don't know where the charger was couldn't find anything to charge it and i was like well they should be asleep by now and the screaming got so escalated and it was so much more than like a, a child's like you know just having a little tantrum like it was like panic that the neighbors came next door and and knocked on the door saying what's happening are you okay and i was like the iPad went flat, <laughs> like just that absolute reliance on technology because it's such an easy cop out to pacify our children. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. So it's it's going to be even worse when, you know, the teenagers now are having kids, although there's so much research coming oh, out that shit. maybe they'll be a bit more woke. <laughs> But, well, yeah. that's the hope. We, yeah. you know, one generation endures the, the worst effects of yeah. this new elixir and then they're able to manage and mitigate it for their children. Mm. Maybe when smoking was uh, at its peak, that would have affected babies yeah. and children a lot. Yet now we have the understanding that you yeah. don't smoke when there are yeah. babies nearby. So hopefully we follow that trend. Mm. But that story is that's horrific. Yeah. That, oh. It just blows my mind, though, even, like, in primary schools now, kids God. kids use laptops more than they use pens and paper. Like, isn't that just wild? Like, you remember, like, If when... they're working on the... Look, y yes, but if they're... As long as they're not getting distracted by games and things, I don't know if it's that bad. The art of handwriting is a dying art. Like, that's just... It True. blows my mind, honestly. That's not going to help. The thing is, like, even if it's being used for something that's beneficial or whatever, it's still that constant every single thing has to be every interaction and every action from 9 till 3 and probably after school as well is to do with technology. Like, you're on your mm. computer all day at school and then you go home, you study on your computer and then they're watching TV afterwards and then they're on social media yeah. before bed. It's just this... Need a break. Yeah. Yeah. Like back in the day when I was a teenager, we would, or not even a teenager, like a 10-year-old, um, just be out on the street playing skateboarding and bike riding. You don't, you don't really see yeah. that anymore. You don't do Yeah. That. And then our generation, it wasn't like we were completely void of technology. Exactly. Either. I played a lot of video games yeah. and would uh, spend a lot of time on MSN and MySpace yeah. and Facebook. Mm. So... It seems really pronounced from 95, 6, 7 onwards. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But even children of the 90s, such as ourselves, mm. we had it. 
Look, even when my mum was growing up, the Atari just came out, and there were kids there that were just mm. playing the. It was like a little joystick with a button on it. Oh. <laughs> Play like Space Invaders all day. Oh yeah. And then there'd, there'd be some yeah. kids that would just watch TV all day. Yeah. So. I think the difference is like with the the TV and commu- um, computer and our age is that you know when you when mum said it's bedtime, that was it. We had to go to bed, and yeah. sometimes we'd sneak out on the computer. But when it's your phone, for any t- parent, I always say, as soon as they, you know, find your designated bedtime, agreed upon with the child, that's you know, of a healthy amount of time, and then it's agree to take, take the phone away. away because it's the I'm gonna I got to check and see if I got likes, and you can't. They're saying that the amount of sleep that we're getting now is way worse than what we used to be getting, especially for teenagers. And the quality of sleep, because it's that like anxiety, like that temptation of let me just have a quick look and see if I have any notifications. Um, And we know how important sleep is for literally everything like brain development, regeneration, health, um, mental health as well. So if our sleep's being impacted, that can impact a million other things. And the next day at school, we can't focus as much and... Yeah, uh, I mean, even I can attest to that in personal experience. Yeah. I spent way too many nights um, scrolling through Facebook up to yeah. 10, 11 p.m. Yeah. and then couldn't sleep properly and then felt bad that I had done that mm. and was beating myself up and got, you know, five, six hours mm. sleep, which as a teenager you should mm. definitely not be doing. Mm. But that was a lot of my high school and it's, uh, I look back on it now, can't, you know, went through a period where I'd blame people and things, but... No, it was just the technology that was new and we didn't know how to manage it. So 100% that that comes to and, and that really does come down to the parents yeah. being strict about the bedtime and, and even if it's not taking the phone but turning the Wi-Fi off. Mm, yeah. Something. You've got to do something because sleep is, sleep is vital for anyone of any age but for growing children exactly it's essential essential yeah yeah and i think that you know it's it's also important to recognize that we've talked about social media for most of this but it's not the only impact that it's having you know the they're not the only reason that girls are having an increase of these um drastic changes and increases in in mental health issues and like i said before they didn't identify as social media as the cause they identify the, the pressure and stress from school as the main cause of it um so that's what they believe um it is and that i remember like i think i mentioned this in another podcast i remember that in in my school i didn't know that there were any other alternatives other than university after school and i didn't know that there were any other universities other than sydney and macquarie uni and uts because that was the only things that my school would talk about i was like you must 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 go to high school and 90% of um, uni and 90% of my grade of 200 girls did go to uni. Mm. Um, but I went to one of those high schools where it was a bit, bit douchey. So <laughs> there was a, a lot of that pressure, but it's kind of, you're getting this like frequent repeated message to you constantly throughout high school. And that's, this is the most important time of your life. Like what you do now is impacting your future and, not many people can do what, what you did where yeah. you're like, this is something I'm passionate about. I'm going to pursue this. But surely you need a little bit of pressure when it comes to setting standards for your children. You know, I want you to do the best you can. Yeah. And then if they know they haven't done the best they can, yeah, I would hope they do feel a bit bad about that. 
not to the detriment <laughs> of their mental health where they then are feeling depressed or anxious. Mm. But where does that line between discipline and coddling yeah. lie? Because yeah. sometimes I, my parents weren't too strict for Indian parents, but for the average parent were yeah. pretty strict with yeah. uh, uh, academic outcomes and expectations. Mm. And see some of the other kids who were drinking and doing the sort of things you'd expect from from teenagers. Mm. It and is, I thought they could do with a bit of pressure. Yeah. You know, it is interesting um, because there's a lot of contradicting evidence about this. Like some people say the pressure is better and other people saying the pressure is what causes us to rebel against that. And for mm. my personal experience, I had parents that were like very, very chill. Like my mum's a yoga teacher and my dad's a meditation teacher. Like ah. it's, a, it's a chill oh, wow. household. Okay. And go, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, and going through high school, I actually did really bad in high school. I I skipped school all the time. I was a bit of a, a little bit of a troublemaker. I didn't do well academically at all. It was mainly like C's and D's. And, and my parents were like, if you want to drop out, you can. You know, it's if you, it's up to you. You just got to do what's best for you. You know, just whatever is making you feel good by putting the effort if you can, but if it's going to like, you know, ruin you, don't. And I was just a bit like, yeah, maybe I'll drop out in year 10. I didn't. Um, and then as soon as I finished high school and I was like, I don't know if I could ever do uni, but then I went and like studied um, for seven years straight and then did very well academically through like uni um, because I was actually learning things that I was interested in and passionate in. Mm. And, and I didn't have that like pressure uh, which I thought was okay. really um, useful. And my parents were also the type of parents. So like, look, if you know, if you want to like smoke pot, whatever, if you're going to drink, like, let me know. We can like, let us like supply pretty much. <laughs> really like, like, I'd rather parents, do it to you. Like, either nice. like, if you're going to sneak out, you're going to sneak out. Just let us know where you're at kind of thing. And guess what? I never did any of it. Didn't smoke, didn't do drugs, didn't drink, didn't even sneak okay. out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, you got to find that line where if you put too much pressure onto a child, they will rebel. Yeah, but don't do enable a child at the same time. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah and that's what I'm yeah. wary about. Yeah. Not that I even have kids. <laughs> <but> <laughs> Not that you know. <laughs> um, I think maybe putting pressure on outcomes versus putting pressure on them to do their best yeah. is something I'd, I'd draw a distinction between. So if uh, I had my parents saying, you need to get... 99 you need to get to mm. uni you need to be a doctor i'd feel so much pressure on things that are essentially arbitrary and yes they'll um lead you on a successful upper middle class path through mm. life which is important especially when you have immigrant parents who have come from mm. countries where if you're not on that path you you could be starving <laughs> so yeah. uh, australia is very generous in that regard but I think I would expect uh, children to feel guilty if they lie, if they don't yeah. do their best, mm -hmm. if they do something that they know is wrong. I think they should feel uh, a little bit of pressure. I mean, I, I now at my age, I feel pressure to, to do the right thing and live yeah. uh, the way I yeah, exactly. want to live. And, and we I've need that pressure sort of otherwise. Set my standard for myself, but... Yeah. I worry sometimes if that's a very different sort of pressure to, or you need to get this many likes or you need to mm. get this mm. uh, this on a test. Mm. 
I think it is hard because, you know, when we talk about these issues and we're always saying that the best intervention is speaking to your children about it. And, but what I really think there's a valuable um, way to approach it with teenagers is that we need to recognize that teenagers have, you know, that's when they develop their own identity and they're, they're a lot smarter than what we give them credit for and we just kind of like sure. dismiss it as like, oh, teenagers. But we can certainly learn a lot. Um, from teenagers and I think that the best way to parent teenagers is to do like negotiation so it's not like you need to be doing this it's kind of like what what time do you think that you know we should shut down social media like what time do you think we should be going to bed I think you know we know you need at least nine hours so how about this Mm -hmm. or it's what kind of what kind of goal do you want to set for your ATAR like do you have a numerical numerical goal where it's like I want to get 80 or 90 cool what kind of things do you need to do to achieve that goal mm. so just that kind of putting the teenager in em- empowering them to make choices for their own life is highly beneficial um, to their future as well um, and if we are making all these decisions for them and putting this pressure on them very often they can have issues with authority as well and they can go out into the job job force and struggle with being said like (laughs) this is the way it is or they can also develop like anxiety and a hypersensitivity to disappointing people um which is really common Mm. yeah yeah so it's just that yeah just that little just that balance like just it's just having a conversation of respect like i can respect that you know even though you're a teenager and your brain's still developing you're still a person that should be able to make decisions for your own life Mm. but let's let's do it together yeah Okay. Well, I think that's a good <laughs> note to conclude yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have anything else to say in regards, in regards to young girls as well? Yeah, and the I, mental think, health? I think the last thing that I'll say was that, you know, this, this study that was done by Mission Australia was what the last question they asked was when you're feeling you know, very depressed or anxious or overwhelmed, where do you... Where do you go to for a, a longer period of time, not just like one mood? And they said they'll either go to it's the answers, those three answers. It was their friends, parents, and the internet. Um, and I think that it's so important for more young people to be accessing services that are available to them. And there's so, so many free services. Um, and I know that they're going out to these schools and things like that. So it's just that, you know. Don't be afraid to access the service or go to Headspace or see a counselor or a therapist, even if your issues are so mild mm. and it's just like that I sometimes have trouble sleeping or I feel a little bit on edge. You don't have to be, you know, have a s- severe episode in order to see a therapist. You can go and seek counseling for things that are mild as well. So I think that's a important note for our young people. Yeah. Okay. And chill on the social media. <laughs> Except when you listen to this. <laughs> listen to as many of these as you want on social media. Yeah. All right. Well, that was very informative. Thank you, Liza. And thank you guys for listening. Hope that helped you. Uh, or if you have someone in your life that would be in that demographic, can uh, help you with some strategies for them. Mm. And we will... We'll see you next next time. Please subscribe if you haven't already. We're on Spotify, uh, the Apple Podcasts app, and YouTube.com slash Neil TV. Thanks, guys. See you next week.